Welcome among Dear List. So uh, I received an email a little while ago uh, regarding a Kickstarter, and I receive a lot of emails regarding Kickstarter. And I, I'm, I'd like to help all the Kickstarters out there, but I set myself a limit, which is to interview only people in person. And that's a great excuse because 99.999% of the Kickstarters I receive are based in the US, and people are like, no, no, obviously they cannot be in London. I don't remember the last one I received. But today I'm caught, I'm trapped. As someone showed up in London for an interview. Boo. Who are you? I am me. I am Jonathan. I'm the co-creator of Barpig, the adventure party game. And I've flown over here from Amsterdam, where I'm based. So it's not as hard as the US. There's a slightly smaller body of water. And I'm here to show you our fantastic uh, little card-based adventuring game of group shenanigans and twisted, vindictive, take-that-item cards, and I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, because we're going to have tonight a demonstration of the game at mm. Bad Moon Cafe, which yep. sadly I won't be able to record for technical reasons. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I hope uh, a number of people we will attend today. But well, here um, we've got an opportunity to talk about it and then people can... Abs uh, absolutely. I've, I've also got my phone on me, so I'll take lots of photos and videos and people can look back on the socials as well. So we'll make sure we get, we get some content and coverage. So. We can make some TikToks. Oh, I don't have TikTok. Uh, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm, I, I know I'm terrible, <laughs> but I'm, I, I feel China has enough of my data. I grew up in Asia and that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> so you grew up in Asia, but uh, mm -hmm. are you from the Netherlands? Are you from somewhere else? Okay, so uh, it's a little bit confusing. Here it goes in a nutshell. I'm a born Australian. Australian. Dad's Aussie. Mum's Dutch. And because of Dad's job, we lived and moved around Southeast Asia, and that's where I grew up. And when I was 18, I moved to Europe, and I started my studies, and I've been in Europe since. Is that a thing? Because the <laughs> illustrator for my game, yeah. his name is Body Hartley. Yeah. And he's also an Australian. Yeah. In the Netherlands, uh, th yeah. is there a whole community of loads of Aussies, loads of Safa, South Africans, loads of them also here in London? But Amsterdam and the Netherlands, they, they seem to stick. I don't know why. Maybe the windmills are attractive. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe uh, the greenery. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps that too. But if you really look for greenery, I'd suggest Portugal because that's even more liberal now <laughs> than the Netherlands. But, you know, no, that, that sounds appealing. <laughs> but I feel an Amsterdam trip coming up very soon, soon Callum. So uh, <laughs> did you hear me say shoon? That was funny. <laughs> Life finds a way anyway. You know? You're more than welcome. Your game, Bar Pick, mm -hmm. uh, adventure party game. Mm -hmm. Role-playing game, role-playing game adjacent, you would say? <laughs> yeah. For starters, it was born in an environment like this, in a cafe, in a, in a bar. And it was kind of thought up to be the perfect bar game, which was a middle ground between something like Munchkin, a little bit like, you know, good old D&D role-playing, um, a bit of take-that-items like well, Exploding Kittens or even Uno. That's probably the only developer that ever uses Uno as a comparison in his game. But those kind of take that elements and, uh, yeah, a bit of, like, real live action with your friends you're playing with, interactions like King's Cup and stuff like that. Very briefly, it's card-based, but there's a tracker for a level, there's a tracker for server points, there is a tracker for resources, 
So it does actually work like a character sheet. And there's a dice for initiative rolls that sees whose turn it is. And you have a, a character card with you with a challenge. And that challenge can be role player-ish. It can also be very straightforward, like last to touch the object that that player is called out is going to lose points. I find it interesting because it's not exactly something I planned, but uh, my own game is kind of party-ish, I guess. Yeah. And since then, I've run into... I believe it's Peter Petrusha who did Rest in Pieces, mm -hmm. which is a role-playing game based on a Jenga tower, but not yep. like your dread more comedy. Yep. Then I interviewed the people of the party RPG. I guess yep. I'm just naming all your competitors. But it's interesting because... Friends, they're friends. <laughs> it looks like, no, like some people said, like some influencer in our RPG told me, there's no competition in the TTRPG sphere. Uh, well, yeah, you're yes and no. The thing is, <laughs> there's so much creativity out there. There's always going to be in the niche for you. But so. it's a really because this is not really something which was on my radar a couple of decades ago. Yeah. I remember Tune, maybe I guess Paranoia to some extent, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's becoming a thing, a genre yeah. of its own. So, For sure. is this something you noticed before you started the project? Or? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in its inception of uh, you know being thought up with a couple of drinks, the the rest of the project just kind of. Yeah, cascaded out of control like that. Um, we just made, well, my ex and I, we made a very basic prototype, played of friends. They loved it. They said we should do something more with this. We kept saying, nah, we'll see. And it wasn't until about four months into it, we were playing with friends in a cafe, and a random person walks by and goes, oh, that looks like fun. Can I try? And of course, come can sit down and play with us. The guy was a tourist from Denmark, played with us half an hour, had a lot of laughs, at the end of it, he goes, this is great. How do we get a copy? So I sent him a PDF of the files I had at the time, and my friends looked at me aghast, like, no, this is why you should Kickstarter it. So yeah, we started working on that. We made a first prototype, which we sold 200 copies with during events and to retailers. The boxes I literally cut and stuck at home. Kind of like the, the demo pack you have there right now is also cut and home stuck, so it's not, it's not as rigid as the actual box will be. It looks better than my own game. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, art, an artist helps with that. So, But yeah, we managed to sell out in six months, and we knew next step was Kickstarter. So we did that. We got an artist involved, and original Bar Pig launched in 2017. 2019, we had a, a sequel game because there was so much call for more cards, people who started an expansion. And we made so much material, we actually had enough to make an entire standalone second game, which can be played together with the first. So that was cool. It was great. We launched it at UK Games Expo in 2019 as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was uh, fun and stressful. And then I had a little bit of a glitch, a burnout. Uh, my ex and I, our relationship hit the rocks as well. So we decided to part ways. And he also left me at the game. He said, look, just buy me out. You seem to have fun of it. I'm going to do something else in my life. And I kept going with it. Of course, shortly afterwards, someone in China ate a bat, I guess. Something happened. And at the same time, the backers, the people that love the game, came back and said, make another expansion, make more character challenges, make more item cards. And I gave in because I'm, I'm a sucker to be friendly to people. Please, sir. <laughs> so the Great Festival was born. And yeah. Between big 
potato And it's not fine For poor son to die On Yankee Spud That's out of order And a shot rang out Last breath starts from us now How cry havoc Let free the dogs of when you mentioned someone passing by seeing mm. the game and saying oh 
what is that? Can I try? Mm -hmm. Do you know if that person was already a tabletop RPG fan or just a board gamer? Or We were just in a normal cafe. It wasn't even a board game cafe. I mean, that's the one thing. Amsterdam finally has our first proper board game cafe now since eight months only. So, I, but he was into games, he said. He liked games and stuff. He liked board games. He also liked a little bit of D, bit, bit of D&D as well, he said. So the background was there. But what really attracted him was a group of five random people laughing their ass off and throwing cards at each other and doing fun challenges like explaining why they're not lizard people or doing a gesture chain and screwing it up and <laughs> laughing because of that, yeah. I can't wait to play this with you, by the way. <laughs> well, I was wondering if you cracked the challenge of how do you convert mm. or do you get people in the hobby, which is always this big debate of yeah. what's the best way to or not to D&D is the most popular game the most mm -hmm. famous one so yeah. the go-to is always this one personally I don't think that's the best entry I also think we missed some kind of some audiences who might not be interested in but Absolutely. might be yeah, interested yeah, yeah. in other things so I was just curious if that person was it was their first introduction <laughs> I don't think so but we've had many new introducees in introducees uh, in introduce introduce people <laughs> to uh, the world of gaming through Barpic because it's been made to be the low threshold. You know, it's, it's challenging enough for seasoned gamers, but it's a new mechanic. And if you've never played a game in your entire life, you pick up a pack, you've got to understand it in three rounds and you understand how games work. And you'll go, oh, this is fun. What else can I play? I was setting up a segue for myself in the sense mm. that yeah. my next question is, how did it start it for you as a tabletop RPG fan? What was... Oh. The game and then the circumstances, the age, the place, oh, the man. time. Yeah, this okay, so I'm gonna take you back to 1997. What was your haircut? This sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's also kind of what I have right now. It's a bit shortcut and unkept because <laughs> <laughs> personal appearance, I, I, I'd rarely look at mirrors and then I go, oh my god, who's that? Uh, <laughs> so no long hair, no... No, nothing like that. I was, I was pretty run, well, run on the mill, but I was also a bit of a, a geek in a school year. But we had a... We had a group of friends where, which were just misfits. You know, we all had our own thing. We all were nice to each other, and it was the group that was the nicest group. And it started with my best friend, still today. He um, says, "Hey, uh, do you know what RPGs are?" And I go, "Well, not really, no." And well, uh, our other friend Lander is uh, organizing a Star Wars the RPG game back in the '90s. D6s. Wow! High yes, five! I know. Yes, <laughs> yes, my first introduction ever. Um, so I, I didn't even, my first dice wasn't even at D20, so I mean, shocker. Yeah, and started a game and campaign with him, and I had a lot of fun with that. And then Dungeons Dragons came up, and Alternity, if anyone still remembers that. Which one, sorry? Alternity. Alternity, yeah. that doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, right. I mean, they, they tried to do a relaunch, and then it didn't make it quite. But it was a fun, also D20 system. Really were rigged together, good background and world building and stuff. Uh, Mage Descension I've done that was fun yeah and I've done one or two sessions of Vampires Masquerade and there was this one my friend Caleb's gonna kill me because if he ever hears this he's gonna shout at the you know the speaker going it's called this uh, it was like a, a kind of Voltron based with you know those those big mecha Japanese Voltron based yeah like like the, the, the big um, battle tech well yeah but like the robots more like but it wasn't Voltron it definitely wasn't Voltron But the same kind of thing it was like 1980s Japanese animation. You had the big 
you know, fighting robots and they could turn into vehicles and stuff like that. And it was an RPG based on that. Macross Robotech? No. Okay. Not. No, but uh, I'll tell you what, keep, keep, keep throwing names as the evening progresses. Uh, something will quick. Something will I think, uh, well, in terms of role-playing game based on Japanese properties from the 90s, I don't know that many, to be honest. I'll tell you what, when, when I asked my friend Caleb, because he was the DM then, and um, he'll probably just... I can put it in the credit, I would say, and the name, and, and I, this I will this, exactly. put the link in the description yeah. of the episode. So, and to the creators, uh, I'm sorry I can't remember it, but it was a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you played, did you game mastered as well? Uh, never, no. No, so you jump from player to game designer yeah. straight away. Straight away. So, uh, shocker number two. The closest I ever came to being a game master was actually... No, I did game master, I'm lying. I, in high school, I even created my own little uh, RPG, which was based on the then sci-fi TV show... Seasca uh, was it Seascape? Uh, no, Sequest. Sequest DSV, ah. that's it. <laughs> wow. Because I, didn't, I wasn't a big fan of the show. I, I'm a huge Farscape fan. I love, I love sci-fi. Like my my go-to right now is Expanse. I, I love Farscape. I love Firefly. And Sequest felt like, eh, it's good, but it could be more. Yeah, it was interesting, but I'm not quite sure. What was the situation there? Was it yeah. post-apocalyptic? Above no, not water? even. No, no. It felt like futuristic, and they had like futuristic submarines because that's the way to go. Even though submarines don't travel all that fast, and yeah, but the, the Earth above water didn't seem to be quite all right. It was. It, was, a, it, was, and it wasn't okay, but it was. It wasn't like a complete dismal. And well, that, that's it. You know, that's what I thought was missing. So I put on my environmentalist cap, and I came up with a world where rising sea levels happen way quicker than they expected. Everything's underwater. And climactic change is such there's a thick layer of ice now and everyone is underwater. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm laughing at myself as I say this. <laughs> there's, a good, there's a good French game uh, with a similar premise called really? uh, Polaris. I think they did a Kickstarter. Yeah, they did a Kickstarter, Kickstarter. for I an English translation of their latest edition, but uh, getting stuff across the Atlantic or yeah. beyond. You, you know, it's like, I'm a big fan of Nephilim, for instance, mm -hmm. which got an infamous. Uh, American localization, let's yeah. call it like that. In Nomine Satanis, Magna Veritas, again, very important French game. Yeah. Terrible French uh, US adaptation. Oh. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know for sure I've seen it go by. I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll have a look when I have time. Yeah, I have a month yeah. of no life. This is Kickstarter plus conventions plus fun things like this. So, And I shouldn't complain because actually it is a lot of fun. So. Sailors beware! Sailors beware! Sailors beware! 
I'm just slightly disappointed. I was hoping uh, I cannot resist bringing up a Dutch reference from my childhood. You oh mentioned dear. science fiction. Yeah. And I was like, did someone develop a role-playing game based, I think it was called Mick and Mac? Do you oh, know what I'm talking wow. about? <laughs> oh, but that's like 80s, like a 70s yeah, even, yeah. isn't it? <gasps> oh, you yeah, know what I'm talking about? I do. And I explain it was, to it was, a, it was a Belgian production as well. I was probably, Dutch. Probably co-production. I think it was Dutch. Uh, well, uh, you know, you're actually probably right. It probably was like Flanders and Holland Cooperative. Um, I think it was financed by the... European Union, I agree, yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was about to say by the dairy industry in the Netherlands. Probably, but I mean, there's. you say this now, and I'm thinking, oh my God, they were, they were on cow farms a lot. And wh- why do I have an image of a robot on my head? I think that's wrong. I might be mixing so, it up with Bastien Adrian. Uh, okay, am I mentioned... I'm going to explain the premise to, yeah, to yeah, the please, listeners. Please, because I'm, so, I'm so lost, but I remember it's it. It's the 80s. It's the late, mid-late 80s. You're a child <laughs> in Europe, in Belgium. You don't have, like my son, YouTube kids. You don't oh, have God, Netflix. No. You don't have agency. You have no. what's on the telly. That's it. <laughs> That's all. And what's on the telly is a yeah low budget because, mm. of course... Science fiction show starring two children mm-hmm. who don't speak. Who look, they're probably twins. Yeah. They got kind of, not an afro, but. Uh, uh, a big hair, for sure. A big, big hair. But it was also blonde and light and everything, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And one is in red and the yeah. other is in. Yellow. B- blue. Blue? Blue, as far as I remember. I am confusing Bastian Arjun. I'm so sorry. And they're in a little UFO mm-hmm. and they crash in the Netherlands. Yes. In a windmill, because of course, they hide there, they are saved by a milkman. Yeah. And it turns out that the telepath, telekinesis, but their powers are triggered by the consumption of milk. Milk, correct. Yes. And and the villain... And the villain oh. is the Dutch army. army yeah. It's a kind of adjutant lady. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, they're, and, and they're always chasing him because they did notice the UFO come down or something, something like that. It's like the A-team. Yeah. <laughs> well, pretty much, the, 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 the Dutch A-team. So they, they, talk, they talk like this, and they eat strop off and drink coffee. <laughs> and yeah, it was the weirdest thing. It was quite popular. I remember yeah. having stickers on my bed yeah, and stuff it was, it was, like that. It was a big thing. But I mean, to be honest, if, if you got to crash land a UFO any Anywhere in Holland, you're probably going to either run into a windmill or a, or a cow anyway, so... You it's know. a good thing they didn't kill a cow. <laughs> no, that'd be terrible. Oh, gonna, now I'm going to mention cows. another one, science fiction obscure thing. The Girl from Tomorrow. Oh, yeah. I've, I've Australian never, now? Yeah, I know. I never watched it. it annoyed, I had it to watch me. it. It was shown in Belgium. and You had again, to watch it? I came back from school. This What's is, on the telly? And The Girl from Tomorrow. There's no agency. You have to watch it. These, this is like people in the UK going crazy about neighbors are home and away. Like Foster's, we export it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll leave that there. You you don't consume it. (laughs) No, not really. (laughs) But no, it was a fun, it was a prom premise, to be honest, yeah. It it was a fun show, but as a child, it was confusing Mm. also. Especially again, you're not streaming it. No. So you're not starting episode one and playing it. And if you, and if you miss an episode, but, but there's big plot holes for you and stuff. And it was, it was actually beautifully filmed. I think it was actually filmed along the 
parts of Great Ocean Road as well, some stages. Even. I, I found it again, it's on Prime TV, uh, uh, actually. Uh, so I had a look at the first episode. Mm -hmm. It's a very grim description of Australia. Yeah. No, but because <laughs> the girl from tomorrow comes from a utopian time far in the mm -hmm. future, yep. and she travels back to contemporary, so yeah, 90s, day. 80s. Yeah. Australia, yeah, and which it's, is depressing. It, looks, yeah. it looks very depressing. <laughs> but then, bef between contemporary Australia and Utopia Future Girl of Tomorrow, there's actually a time where the villains come from, yeah. and this sort of Mad Max, yeah. uh, Terminator come sort in. of situation <laughs> before it becomes a Utopia. And she's and she's always struggling to keep the peace, but she can because that's what she's used to. And of course, the modern day kind of gets sucked into this negative like killer army thing yeah I remember it now oh my god next what kickstarter role playing game the, that, the again, IP right? there's, there's so many things to do there really are yeah but to, I mean to be honest when it comes to thematics for games I actually like to push boundaries a little bit more like I, well okay so after Bar Pig, there's literally six ideas for new games not with this anymore but the concept is still games you can bring to a bar and play with your friends that's uh -huh. going to be our go to from here on in. So you remain in the party game realm? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But also, the next one I want to be a little more with a board. It's actually going to be a board as well. And, um, well, if anyone steals this, I'll come and hunt you down. But, you know, that's board gaming. No one steals anything because we love each other too much. Does it mean anything? Yeah. I mean, I don't share ideas, not because I'm afraid of people stealing them, mm -hmm. but because once I shared it, you have to do usually it. I, I would <laughs> see something else shiny. I, uh, Oh, I, that's true. Okay, uh, so yeah, and I'm superstitious also. So okay, um, good point. So I'm gonna touch wood now. I'm gonna take Callum's advice here. Wait, we have um, a nice piece of wood. It's beautiful, perfect. beautiful tables actually. Yeah, I was looking at it earlier. It's a nice little booth we have here. For those listening, you should be here. This is so nice, and uh, yeah, but we'll you know bring you in the atmosphere like this. God, where was I before I went on that little tangent? <laughs> so you were about to explain yes. your next project. Yeah, it's got a board. And if someone else does a role-playing game slash party game with a board. It's because they stole the idea Correct. from this interview. And they, can, and they can send me 50 euros, please, to uh, PO Box. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was actually thought up when I talked to one of the board game playing group leaders in uh, the Netherlands, uh, Lise from Amsterdice. It's a shout out as well to her. Nice. Uh, they're a fun group. They have a meet every Sunday in a, the cafe of a big uh, youth hostel and lots of games there. And during Corona, of course, they couldn't. So when we were able to go to cafes and bars, I met up with her again, had a chat, whatever. We talked about games. And we talked about our shared hate for exploiting kittens. And I'm so sorry to the creators for exploiting kittens. You should never do this. It's nothing against the game. It's just that when it first came out, one of my friends, she wanted to play it endlessly. And I think I've played the oh. game 30 times in a month. I'm done of it. It sounds terrible. I'm done of it. <laughs> People come, I got an expansion. I'm like, no, no, no. Just like, give me a few years, I'll come around again. But we're talking about it. And I mean, as a company, they're great. They're doing really well. I'm happy for them as well. You know, they're the latest, um, uh, not You Got Crabs, not, not, not The Mantis. They've got like five or six different ones now. It's insane. They're doing really well. They do have Poetry for Neanderthals is also theirs. Okay. I think. Although I'm going to muck that up now. But anyway. Anyway. Uh, so we're talking about exploding kittens because Lise also doesn't like exploding kittens. And she goes, yeah, someone should make a game which is just better than that. And I go, God, I can make a better game, I think. It's three beers in, full of myself, complete lies. Uh, but yeah, we, you know, I said, well, what if it's, what if it's not imploding kittens, but something else kittens? And well, I went home 
And I thought, damn it, I'm going to go to work. And the prototype for Catnip Kittens is now at home, <laughs> which is uh, more board gamey actually than party game, but the thematic makes it party game like. The idea is you've got kittens on the board, which you have to manipulate using um, detractor or attractor cards. Things like dangling your keys or throwing a cucumber in the other side of the room. Oh, so you're hurting the cats. Then. Well, no, no, not hurting. Yeah, exactly. Well, you are hurting. Oh, sorry, I understood hurting. No, you're not. You are hurting. Correct. Yeah, sorry. The cats are fine. Oh, yeah, not, not hurting. No, no, you are hurting. hurting. Yeah, so, uh, and the turn base also rotates every round, and the players have to select their actions and reveal at the same time. The idea is you want to get a kitten towards you and give it catnip so it goes a bit crazy and then send it to your opponent so it neutralizes the opponent and by scratching the face off. Uh, it's, uh, it's the party element, I guess. <laughs> it's, that it's a concept. Nice. That yeah, sounds I'm, nice. And, uh, it's cats, it's, that, that's board game, party game. That's not a role-playing game anymore. No, 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 not really. And then if you want to look more role-play games and stuff, there's another idea which actually got at Spiel. So last week, then. last week, yeah, last weekend, and this is the thing. I was That's fresh, hot, I'll, red hot yeah, news. Yeah, like really. So again, touch wood, it will never happen. So don't don't ask for any disclaimers. But we noticed something. Uh, a couple of people have a bit of a very heated, involved discussion, and it was a very typical situation of a conflict arising between personality types and the need to have conflict resolution out of it, and then the tricky act of walking on eggshells, if you will. So I thought, oh, you call it eggshells, and you could have a card-based. And if you put in a numerical system, you could play it just strategically and stuff, and according to the cards you play, you have someone, sorry, every player takes a turn as being the obstruction. It's a nice way to say it, I guess. <laughs> and the other players have a handful of potential um, inroads to just defuse the bomb that's about to go off. But some of those inroads might be incorrect. And the game will also have hints about how best to do conflict resolution. So if I do this, I want to actually talk to people that do professional training in. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, I think there's a lot can be learned from that. And the idea of the numerical scoring system on the cards is because not everyone likes to role play in party games. They kind of uh -huh. want to get into it, but it's a bit of a bridge too far. And I've thought if you put that on your card, you have a choice as a player to do it one of two ways. You can either role play your approach uh -huh. to the obstruction and the, the players of the obstruction can decide if they respond in kind or they simply look at their numerical score on your card and you apply that or I can of course just use your numerical score and the players of the obstruction could also role play their reaction back to it and then show on a tracker how they're doing so that's that's fresh in my head right now that's that's on the top of all the gray matter I, I'm a functional ADHD, so it's a lot of things like this happen quite a bit, yeah. Can you notice in terms of the audience for Bar Pigs and mm -hmm. maybe when you, you, you communicate about those projects, yeah. how much people are within the range of being more board gamers, party gamers versus being tabletop players? Of, of course, there are overlaps for sure, but yeah, at the massive. same time, these are two scenes which can be very strong and very distinctive Correct. at the same time. They can, they can be very polarized at times as well, yeah. So, again, personal plugging. Barpig manages to give these both players the opportunity to have fun in the same game. But it's a trick. It's a trick because you need to be able to cater for one or the other. And there needs to be an element of control or ownership in how that game could do either way. There is definite differences in the type of gamers out there. And even for people that 
like just start gaming. Um, Spiel was a great example. We had groups of friends coming on a Sunday. They've heard about this. They're going to try it out. They have no idea what gaming is. They walk into that smorgasbord of fantastic beauty and they run it to us and they sit down and they start learning gaming but then you straight away see this one person is more into that kind of element part of the game or this person is more into this side of the game I think everyone has it in them and it's probably also determined by personality types that sounds like another fun idea for a game <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's funny because recently you know every two days there's a different discourse on Twitter yeah. and so on and one of the, the few ones I, I saw recently was again talking about whether or not at the beginning of your game of your role-playing game you say so this is a role-playing game what are role-playing games there are others role-playing games and yeah. people are arguing whether or not you should do that and personally I think you shouldn't because again when you buy a board game they don't start explaining to you that Monopoly is a thing and, uh, and Wingspan <laughs> is not Monopoly but uh, they are both board games and so on and oh it God, just yeah. sounds very very confusing Yeah. so yeah you just get people you say look this is exciting why don't you try it and exactly. so on yeah. but at the same time self-product when I was you know developing yeah. Paris Gondo the life saving yeah. magic of inventoring now that I'm thinking about doing a Kickstarter or even mm -hmm. when I was promoting it I was like do I say it's a story game do I say it's a role-playing game because when you commercialize it when you yeah. reach out at least the feedback I got was that you need to be clear Correct. about that when you have people play it it's fine where it falls mm -hmm. but in terms of what's the audience you're targeting the core of that range yeah. you need to know where, what you're going you need, for you need to know how to, how to plug it you need to have the hook which is going to be correct for the game and get the people you want I mean we now say the hilarious and strategic party game for Bar Pig because it is fun it's hilarious you, you, you will laugh at the silly fun creative things you're going to be doing with your friends but there is a strategy involved and we put that in exactly to get those strategy gamers interested as well and have fun as well I would suggest of you ask people you play test with ask him is, is it more a story game is it not and then really start homing a message and then when you come to your next play test try the message out try when you come up to people and say hey do you want to play test my game it's a insert message here phrase hook the pitch which has been quite successful so far mm -hmm. uh, it requires people to be aware of certain things mm -hmm. but the efficient pitch is Marie Kondo for murder hobos <laughs> <laughs> oh but it's funny as well but it's funny because at the oh. same time it doesn't tell you Anything, anything about the game no but uh, I, I have an idea what it's all about then Marie Kondo for murder hobos that's my game that's does it, does it bring you does it bring you joy <laughs> yes exactly and, and the whole the whole spiel of the game is um, yeah bring on a, a sidetrack yeah, no, what, what's funny is that now the feedback I start getting from people playing it mm -hmm. is that we didn't think it would be that interesting mm -hmm. because they're hooked by the idea by the pun by the, the humor of it yeah but then they play the game they realize actually there's a real story building motor behind it there's a real story building situation now what I find personally fascinating is that mm -hmm. yes there's this real mechanic which build a story with mm -hmm. an arc mm -hmm. within three hours yeah, with wow. zero prep and so on and you don't have to be familiar with role playing games in any way and nope. if you are you can build on the tropes the stuff you know fantastic yeah but at the same time 
I really don't see... Oh, of course, people can always do it, but I really don't see you could take do the SRD of that, take the system out no. and remove it from the concept because it's, it, it's it doesn't work it. anymore. Exactly. So my question becomes, um, do you feel you might be missing these story-heavy players by using the pitch Marie Kondo for murder hobos? Story... Well, it depends what you call story, because mm. if we're talking about story gamers in the sense of, you know, starting to draw a circle yeah. around different yeah. group of people is a challenge. But for me, when I hear story, I don't necessarily think about stuff like werewolf, for instance, no, or I think more of a bit powered by the apocalypse. I do quite a bit of things with the gauntlet, mm -hmm. you know, this type of crowd, yeah. bring the wood bear, all of that which are still more rules-heavy, but more things like Firebrand also. I don't know if you heard of that. No, that I, I have not. Firebrand is a system. I don't quite remember what's the original game which, was, which said, developed yeah. this system. But the last game I played, which I believe was built on it, was called Once More Into the Void. Ah, yes, that I do know. By Ray Nejedi. Yeah. It's inspired by Firefly. Mm -hmm. Picard, yep. you play a retired captain, needs to assemble the crew from their ship who are all long retired and they need to go to one more mission. That's what I call story well, yeah, because there's writer's room yeah, role there's, playing games. There's, there's a background to it, there's, there's a character development you're part of that development as well, totally. So maybe then for your pitch you need to just add a few words for instance to hook in the story players if you want to. Things like maybe it's a murder mystery that looks more like a Marie Kondo for murder hobos. Mm -hmm. So you've added the murder mystery and that's ooh, ah, I like that. And he's still got the Marie Kondo for murder hobos. <laughs> it makes me chuckle every time. It's genius. Well done. Jealous. Nice, <laughs> nice job. Nice job. We'll see. We'll see. Open uh, your pledge on your... <laughs> oh no, absolutely. You have my pledge already and I, the Kickstarters are hell. And especially when you do things like expansions, because it's it's more of a story you have to sell. And if it's a brand new game, you do well, for sure. I think it's be good.
Kickstarter, you did three of them. The last uh, one is... Yeah, it's running right now indeed. And um, it uh, can be found at kickstarter.barpig.eu. See, that's plugging. You learn from Mama RuPaul. So uh, <laughs> will people be able to do late pledges because yeah. this thing takes time? I understand, actually. yeah. Absolutely, late pledges will be available. And I'm looking maybe even also afterwards launching a campaign on GameFound as well to keep it running a bit. Oh, really? Yeah. But the Kickstarter has been funded in 40 hours, and we just ticked the 6K mark this morning, so our second stretch goal is unlocked. Well, congratulations. Thank you, yes. So it's 200% funded. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I expected more of a, a growth, but then I'm also looking at myself realizing this is an expansion on an existing game. That was part of the pitch as well, to kind of bring new people into finding out Barbarpic, because that's the thing about living in Europe. The US market is huge, and this game will do so well there. It's just there's a big body of water separating us, and it's a little bit difficult to traverse that every now and then. Yeah, and the, so. I had almost an argument with someone this week, uh, mm. again on Twitter, because Twitter is terrible for conversations. <laughs> uh, topic for a game. Uh, you know, Conflict Revolution, the Twitter expansion. Correct, yes. Uh, <laughs> it's a good game, isn't it? Conclusion, you cannot you can't resolve exactly. a conflict. If anyone pulls a Twitter card, you table flip, and they're kicked out of the game. But uh, yeah. I find it... I'm more and more aware, especially with the little uh, time we all had on our own. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but as a result of that, instead of engaging with people in London, mm -hmm. around me, I engage more with people online. Yep. And it, it made me um, even more aware of the discrepancies due to, in part, demographics and access to communication infrastructure. When you yep. get online, the US demographic is huge. Huge, massive, yeah. Uh, the, within the US demographic, if you're talking role-playing games, the D&D demographics is also Insane. overly represented. Yeah. But even, even within, uh, for lack of a better term, indie designers, I find among our US friends, there's a huge lack of awareness of how much they got this impenetrable it's weird because yeah. on one end it's an impenetrable bubble yeah. it's extremely difficult to reach to, in to get in there yeah exactly and at the same time we are in this bubble As we well. are we are included in the bubble because so we we also consume from the market yeah absolutely yeah. and that's I mean for developers based in the Nev uh, based in Netherlands geez, sorry based in Europe or anywhere else outside of the US UK Europe Australia anywhere Southeast Asia, Southeast Latin Asia, America. exactly. It's it, it it is a tricky one. It really is because you need to find some hook, some way to get someone who's large enough to make a bit of a wave for you to talk about your game. And then maybe it'll move. Maybe it'll work, and it go. Oh, this looks great. Yeah, what is it, etc. And off you go. But there's a lot of noise out there. And I mean, I do this as a hobby next to my normal job. I think most developers do it like that. So. And unless they buy licenses up and they go down that road, so yeah, there, there should be more awareness. Mm. I mean, people have got other problems when they are the US, also. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they should be a bit more aware of their lack of permeability to outside forces, yeah. and at the same time, 
the steamroller effect of their entertainment and demographics yeah. outside. But I think what's probably a big difference, I would say, from a French designer, even a British designer, although sadly things have been getting worse over time, is that yeah. it's less of a survival mm -hmm. thing for us as designers. Yeah. When I see US designers, for a lot of them at some point it becomes, no, either I'm succeeding at those three Kickstarters or I, I cannot eat my own, uh, I cannot pay my medical my bills and so on. And I'm, I'm, I'm on the street, yeah, exactly. Why us, it's, it's not great, but we do have some yeah. protections. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the other thing as well. There is, there's a bit more room to do this in your free time here. I mean, that's the thing about the US. The work culture there is so fixed on working long hours, having very few holiday days a year. I mean, France, the holiday day situation is amazing. So <laughs> good for you guys. Uh, but it gives you Not time French. To, yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm a Londoner. I'm yeah, Londoner. sorry. And in London, the UK as well. It's, it's good. There's enough free time and spare time to do things, be creative. And... Yeah, you do it next to your normal job, and if it does well, then you can change the balance of those. I mean, I'm, I myself, am working 80%, and I don't know if people can take an 80% contract of jobs in the States, but in Holland, it's a very normal thing. Yeah. You go part-timing, and it's not just like half-time, it's a percentage of that. So, yeah, that is our benefit here, for sure. Same yeah. for me, and I mean, no later than yesterday, uh, I had a, a call across... Um, part of a big engineering consultancy group with offices in the US, in, mm. the, in the UK, uh, Italy, and so on, yeah. and uh, Latin America. And we had a uh, working parents kind of uh, event, yeah. and people were comparing their situation. Yeah, even all employees who, are not, who still got benefits from the company, mm -hmm. they, they don't have the parental leaves no. or maternal leaves that, that no, we have, for instance. That's heavy. It really is heavy. No, so and, and that way, I think we're blessed. We definitely are blessed. And as, as impenetrable as a bubble is in the States, we have that going for us as well. So maybe they need a bubble, you know? But it'd be, it'd be nice to, to like, not burst it, but kind of sneak underneath, you know? <laughs> Awareness would be welcome because why I find it frustrating is that in the meantime, it's still a situation, a system, which is pretty much literally destroying local creation in, in, in France, it in can. different countries, yeah. and so on. So but I, I think that's also maybe the, the power of your own community and your own market. If you do a game in France, you develop a game in France, do it in French. Yeah, that's, because that, that's true that you create your own bubble and yeah. they got their own thing going on and it's difficult to get in and out. But then Exactly, you have your own bubble, use that bubble. I mean, we, we made our game in English because my ex is Canadian, didn't speak Dutch. And everything but, is in English. In and everything's in English, exactly. Uh, it's true. But still, like, there's a call for make a Dutch version. So um, right now, I'm talking to a few contacts who made a spiel to maybe get a licensing out for Dutch. Are they actually role-playing game in, in... Because I learned Dutch. Uh, yeah, too, look. Yeah, yeah, I speak a bit in Netherlands. That's a good. Maar... Yeah, come to. I studied... Netherlands have studied but then I go to the Netherlands and everybody replies to me in English so I cannot practice my Dutch I can only practice it in Flanders mm -hmm. and then again most people would speak French or English mm -hmm. it's important especially in Flanders to be polite that you express yourself in, the, in, the, in Dutch mm -hmm. but the reality is that especially in the Netherlands my, my impression was that people had 
no no patience for me to learn the local language. No, uh, I, I, and I get it. I get it. I, I totally do. I mean, it's uh, well, <laughs> the Dutch are famous for this as well. I mean, if you try and learn Dutch in the Netherlands, uh, uh, ain't gonna happen. Everyone's gonna speak English to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. Oh, but if you go to, I mean, uh, I recorded an episode in Catalonia. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, if I went to Catalonia or Spain or France, wow. Yeah. France, it would be very rough, rude. <laughs> France, they will be very rude, and they, they will not exactly appreciate you speak French. They mm. will correct your French. <laughs> If you go to Catalonia and you try to practice your Catalan, yeah. they will be very supportive Impressed and they'll help and you out with that. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's interesting that in Flanders, Flanders in Netherlands, it's not the same at all. No. But still, they won't be exactly encouraging. No, true. But I mean, I, what I think was nice about Flanders is they've maintained a lot of the old Dutch. If you actually compare the two languages, Flanders is, is more true to the roots of the language, and it's way more colorful. I personally prefer it, to be honest. It's very, uh, I'm not sure it's the right word, but diverse in terms yeah. of tones and accents. And, and words you can say, and, and sentence structures. I mean, Dutch has become very efficient. But that <laughs> makes... Oh, surprise! <laughs> it's surprising. <laughs> Dutch is efficient. But like, I've, actually, I've got a theory about this as well. I think most people think that Dutch are direct. Yes, but in Dutch, if you want to say something, but you want to have a slightly different meaning to it, you still say the same sentence, but your intonation ah. or the timing of the sentence, that determines the actual message, the underlying message behind that as well. <laughs> so, uh, I, God, I don't know how I can maybe give an example in English. I could say, for instance, oh, you're here, versus, oh, you're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the sarcasm or, yeah, exactly. or oh, you're oh, here. surprise, happy, exactly, or... Oh, I didn't expect to see you, or well, I didn't expect to see you. <laughs> so uh, in English it works as well, but in Dutch it, it, it comes down to an art, and it's it's so fine and interesting. <laughs> so, how do you do that in text if you translate bar pigs in in Dutch? Then, oh, um, well, fortunately, the game explanation, what the activities are and the items work there, it's it's been written to be very clear. But we've selected very fine words for that. So that's an interesting point you're raising. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess the, the benefit is that, of course, this is the expansion of the mm -hmm. actual game, but it's, it's not a criticism. It's just uh, an mm -hmm. observation. It's not Vampire the Masquerade, and you don't have clan books. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, this, this, okay, this is, um, in fact, if anything, this is what a lot of role-playing game groups use as a warm-up, if anything else. So if you've got friends that don't do RPGs, but you think they might, but they haven't done, like, board games and tabletop games before this is a great way to get them started and then they'll start doing more acting and everything you go oh you'd like this you try this thing called mage it's really fun you like magicians <laughs> <laughs> not like the clown type like the actual now <laughs> god mage is so much fun oh I brought down a helicopter excellent <laughs> so you, you mentioned Dutch are there even other languages you're considering other markets well, yeah that? so it's indie this is my own company It's challenging. It's not just you yeah. translate the game and then it's all it's because then you need to promote, have partners, and so exactly. on. Exactly. And uh, for uh, production, you get minimum order quantities, and that's usually about 2,000 units. So the in initial investment to get the game out in any language is quite high. For that reason, we've stuck to English. We've got uh, translation sheets on the website for a few languages, including French, mm -hmm. for the base game. And I want to make one for the sequel, After Hours, as well. But the real key to this is if publishers or distributors want to work with us together, and distribute a licensed version of Barapig in a national language. And again, this spiel was good for us. We actually made a few contacts. Touch wood. 
I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe nothing comes out of it. Germany sounds like a market yeah. which is nice demographic, a lot of enthusiasts rega regarding yeah. gaming, and at the same time an environment where the popular mastery or interest in speaking English is not as high uh, as yeah, uh, the Netherlands. Exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a that, that's thing. So it's a good market to get into if you get in, but language is an issue there. So, and we have got translations for both games in German already. Uh -huh. you know, in fact, at Spiel, we always also, at cost price, have a, uh, like a, a literal menu, which you can get for a euro, and it gives you all the card translations. Oh, and nice. When people play of it, it works great. You simply find the card you have, and you read it out loud when it's your turn. An item card in your hand, you have a look in the menu, see what it does, and you understand it. Yeah. 
So it's uh, it's gonna be time, I think. Oh, oh it is time. Oh, yeah. it is. Ooh, it, it is, is time. time. Okay, oh okay. Goodness. Very quickly. Mm. So I have to ask the last question because it's a tribute to another podcast, an Australian podcast. <gasps> Which one? The Weekly Planet. Oh no, I do no? not. I don't uh, know no, no, I was I know, wondering. Um, I know the Dice Man. There's the some Dice Man weekly worker that do uh, oh. all around the, the world. Uh, I'm oh. waving at uh, Richard from D T D20 Future Show, who's the only Hi, fan <laughs> I know of the, that show. But mm -hmm. in that show, they got a question. I'm, I'm, I'm not stealing their question. I'm just paying an homage no, to course. it. The question is, what are you reading? What are you going to read? So it's not doesn't have to be actually reading. can be watching a show or something. But yeah. what are you consuming at the moment? Media-wise, yeah. Okay. And what are you about to get started? And yeah. I will answer myself. So first... What are you reading? Well, I had a, a, a three-week vacation before the Kickstarter started, and since then I haven't been able to read, but I started The Dark Forest by Chichin Lu, who also wrote The Three-Body Problem. Great author, great books. What Very is that, science fiction? Or? Science fiction, yeah. Cool. And next to that, I've started watching Avenue 5, which uh, stars Hugh Laurie. Oh. And that's hilarious. It's very dark humor, but it's also science fiction-y. It's about a spaceship like a cruise boat something goes wrong and they're trying to deal with it but it's all these very entitled people dealing with very skeleton crew that actually do pull the strings it's it's hilarious it's really well done cool my what am i reading i just finished the second of uh, there was a an old french collection of science fiction mm -hmm. espionage trailer called fleuve noir so the Ooh. the black river yeah, yeah. and these are all books you can find usually second hand if you go to Perfect. france yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, the funny bit is that the fourth cover is often an ad mm -hmm. for a brand of cigarette called gauloise <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing so it's two espionage books so i think james bond but french and written in the 50s or 60s 50s 50s actually amazing and it's it's funny it's funny oh. because it's it's full of prejudice it's oh. not the worst I read I read OSS 117 the actual books those were really really sexist and racist okay. they, are, they are not that bad but they, yeah. they're quite like if you read the book Casino Royale or Ian Fleming yeah, it's, it's, but it's French also so it's like yeah, smoking a cigarette and, and, and having your cafe in the morning <laughs> before you're going to your secret spy they, agency. They smoke that Sorry. brand of cigarette all the time. So in, in Mexico, in Copenhagen. And that's, and that's what is Galio's on, on the front cover of yeah, that one book. It's hilarious because you're like, yeah, you could, you could actually identify French spies by the, the brand <laughs> cigarettes of cigarettes. <laughs> because they would smoke them everywhere. So that, that was mm. my, what am I reading? What, I'm, what you're going to read and then I'm going to think of mine. Oh, there's another book I've got on the, on the shelf. Oh, yeah, hang on. Um, I've had it there for the longest time, and I've never read it. The God Delusion. Uh-huh. So that's completely different from what I usually read. Is that World War One story? No, or? it's it, it's it's uh, it looks at religion. It looks at religion and church and stuff oh, like religion. that. Oh, religion. I, I heard illusion. No, no. It's like the, you know, the uh, religion and stuff and how that grew. And it's, it's a bit critical about it as well. So I'm going to read of a big grain of salt. Another book I recently read, which was very pertinent to the whole Corona crisis, is written by the guy from the Kurzgesagt YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, if you look it up, Kurzgesagt, you see the style, you go, oh, I know this. Um, he himself is studied as a science communicator and has always wanted to write a book about the immune system. And he finally did it. Uh, it was in proofing before Corona happened, so during Corona, finally published it. 
amazing book. It's called Immune, and I know so much more about my body now. It's really, really well put together. Yeah. Wow, nice. So, so what my what am I going to read first? I need a, rook, a book which is on my coffee, bed table. It was put there by yeah, my yeah. wife, but I don't remember the title. I'm sorry, Persephilia, I love you. <laughs> and then I'm going to... I, I oh. bought some uh, Commissaire Maigret, which are French mm -hmm. uh, by Georges Simenon. No, actually, Belgian. Yeah, Belgian. Belgian. Also, yeah, but it's set in France. 50s noir but French but but good. Nice. <laughs> those are those are good, very good reputation. An old inspector of police. Yeah, it's kind of Columbo, but it's older than I that. I say Inspector um, Clouseau. But, <laughs> but it's more about the mood of the place mm, and so on. And nice. it's, I'm reading it, knocking wood for like what should be my fourth game. So I just yeah. read the playtest for my second game and then what my third game should be. And that's reading for the, the you, fourth You project. like the murder mysteries. You like the mystery and the spy stuff going on. That's that's <laughs> your that's your go-to. I got. I'm reading a this. game at the moment uh, yeah. against the dark conspiracy by Alan Reese, mm -hmm. which is really good. And it's well, Alan wanted to play Knight's Black Agent <laughs> by Kenneth Hyde, uh, Pelgrim Press. Didn't like the rule system, so he came up with his own rule system, <laughs> and I, I like it better as well. So nice. so that's why I'm also reading spy cool. stuff. Uh, so there you go. Awesome. Uh, where can people find you when you wish to be found? So if you go to kickstarter.biopic.eu, you'll uh, get the Kickstarter campaign even after it's finished. You'll get information there. We're on uh, the socials at Barpig Game. Barpig, of course, spelled B-A-R-P-I-G. Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter as well. And barpig.eu. EU for European Union. Hey. <laughs> Amazing. I will put a link towards all of that Thank in the you. description of the episode. Including a link to my own game, Paris Gondo, the yes, life-saving magic it, of inventoring. Please, please go buy uh, your physical copies, digital copies. Or you can also already uh, get access to the playtest of my second game, Rosewood Abbey, Ooh. which is a carved in Bridlewood, so inspired by Bridlewood Bay game. But instead of Murder, She Wrote, which is the inspiration yeah. from Bridlewood Bay, my inspiration is the name of the rose. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Oh, fun. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Thank you as well. Uh, Lovely you being here. Lovely meeting you in the flesh. See you next month. And in the meantime, have good games and keep questing. This episode included Robert's Rules of Order, Pig and Potato Bar by Legally Blind, Sea Monster by The Crips, Rebroke the Story by MMO, Amsterdam, by Guitar Lighting Lee and his Thunder Band, and of course Sota or Frango or Team Song by Bonded or Roll. The logo of the Rollies podcast is designed by Rolling Kearns and you can find it on face masks, apparels, notebooks and stickers to put everywhere you want on the T Public store of the released. Linked in the description of this episode, alongside the list of all the games that we named and TV shows and so on and if you click on those links and purchase some of those games chances are uh, you will support the show with no cost for yourself through uh, the affiliate program of drive Through RPG and uh, I'm going to keep it short because I've been really ill all week uh, so that wasn't cool um, yeah in the news front um yeah, sorry for... I got a backlog of episodes and I'm quite slow releasing them. Uh, I think the, it is what it is. I'm going to try to take advantage of uh, 
Uh, I got a new job, uh, which uh, I would be excited to talk about once uh, it's properly started. Uh, at this point, uh, it's yeah, uh, I'll talk about it in due time, hopefully. So I will try to take advantage of the time in between the two jobs to, to catch up with that backlog. But uh, I'm really keen first, before catching up on the, the release backlog, to edit and release our next the RPG Academy Film Studies, which is about the Terminator, uh, the original one. So I cannot wait to release that one. Beyond that, I'm continuing to promote Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic of inventoring. I've been so happy to see that... Uh, I said I would be shorter. It starts, it's starting to sound like I'm going to be long again. Uh, but yeah, I'm very happy to see Paris Gondo popping up in shops across the world, really. Uh, quite a few in the US. One uh, appeared, a couple of copies appeared at Faro Sigurer in Copenhagen, in Denmark, which makes me very happy. The most faithful listeners among you might recognize the shop where I recorded a, a little snippet uh, as part of our episode dedicated to Dungeons and Dragons. I think it was episode six, maybe eight. Uh, it was a very short snippet, but yeah, it fills me with joy to see it at this place and in other places. Uh, I make regularly announcements on the Rollist website about all those shops, so please go check it out. Uh, also, Indie Press Revolution is running out of cop has ran out a while ago uh, in of copies of Paris Gondo, but uh, I'm about to send a shipment there. Hopefully it won't take as long as the previous time. So yeah, rush to get your copies, your physical copies of Paris Gondo, the life-saving magic of inventoring, please. Also, I'm busy still developing and playtesting Rosewood Abbey, my next game, which is a carved from Brindlewood game, so it's inspired by Brindlewood Bay. And um, yeah, I've been running playtests. Uh, the last series, or first series, was not the first playtest, but it was the first time I was doing a proper series. I'm doing it with the gauntlet, and as it is kind of a tradition, the videos from our games online are released to, as a promotional thing for the gauntlet, so uh, it's on the YouTube channel of the released, and I might I might take the audio and just drop it also here on this RSS feed, podcast feed, uh, as just audio, so uh, I will see, uh, I'll check into that, uh, but as always, that that's work, but yeah, go, go check the description of the episode, you will find a link to Rosewood Abbey as well, uh, it's still the playtest rules, it's available just for one dollar, uh, but they will evolve uh, until they are the, the proper final version of the rules or a final version of the rules. Uh, so, so yeah, if you want to be part of the adventure, please go get a copy on HEO. Uh, run the game yourself and let me know uh, Yeah, if, if you have suggestions about what worked and what didn't work so well. It's not edited yet. It's not proofread yet. It's not sensibility read yet. It's not even full in terms of what yeah I want to tell but yeah it's it's evolving and it's very exciting thank you so much for listening to this episode as always uh, see you next month for I didn't check what's supposed to be the next episode of the released ah yeah spoiler alert I got an episode recorded with Babblegum Sam uh, who moved to London so it was a pleasure to meet Sam here and uh, in, uh, meet Sam in person. I got a, an actual play series, an interview mix. It's been a while since I haven't done one of those recorded with Leyline Press. 
Oh yeah, no, I remember. The next one, the next one was recorded, recorded at Concrete Cow uh, Convention in Milton Keynes back in 2022. Again, I got a backlog, sorry for that. But uh, I had a wonderful time at Concrete Cow and it was really nice to record an episode there. So I look forward to sharing that with you. See you in a bit uh, next month. And uh, in the meantime, have good games. Nós é tipo bem Jesus, todo mundo a gente ama Ainda mais se for gatinha, rola até levar pra cama A gente topa tudo, sapatão e bigodudo Na hora do piriri, cai em mim outra vesti Vai batuque! Rolê, rolê, rolê Solta o frango e vem com a gente Rolê, rolê Het begon in de ruimte. Een noodlanding werd de gezanten van Galacton bijna fataal.